Welcome to this edition of the Next Level Podcast. I'm extremely happy to have on episode number 32, Brett Lautenbach, president of Energy Esports. Brett, welcome to the show. How you doing, Manny? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Thank you for having us on this Wednesday. You're doing good, enjoying this lovely fall weather in New York City. It's gorgeous out there. I know. For those that don't know, it's currently 60 degrees in New York City right before December. So global warming, whether you exist or not, we're happy to have you. <laughs> Well, listen, let's kick it off and start off. Talk about what's your current role and responsibilities with energy as president? Yeah. So one of the cool things about energy is um, we have a pretty strong startup mentality about how we operate internally. Um, and so for what that means for everyone who works here is, you know, you have your core competency or your core scope of work, but you're also, you know, expected to have input, give input, um, have ideas on things that might not directly touch you. Um, so just about everything we do at energy, whether or not it's content sponsorships, um, what games get into, um, I work on some of all of that pretty much is what it comes down to a lot of the logistics of keeping the organization running as well. Um, but the great thing is, you know, Andy, our CEO and myself tag team, a lot of, uh, what we accomplish here, and we have an incredible staff that's giving input on everything from even if you're a coach or you know a talent manager or player manager, you're also going to give input on, hey, is this video good? Do you think it's going to resonate with our audience? Um, it, it's been really cool to build something like that where everyone feels like they have ownership for this whole uh, you know endeavor. Yeah, no, it sounds like you're doing all the work, Brett, and Andy's just out there taking all the credit. <laughs> <laughs> Andy's the well, hardest worker. He is the hardest worker. We're going to talk about some of your uh, latest hires in a bit. But let's go towards the games that currently Energy's in. So you're in 10 games currently, uh, most recently expanded into WoW. But I actually want to talk about For Honor. Uh, what made Energy look into For Honor sooner than other teams? Yeah, it was a, it was an interesting one. Um, you know, uh, Ice Guys, who we uh, ended up signing, had kind of been flagged onto our radar. And... Uh, I think we looked at the game and said, okay, here's a brand new game. We kind of want to see where it goes. But Skies is just this incredibly compelling person. Um, he's got a great story and personal journey from uh, from his young childhood in gaming all the way up to now esports, going through games like Demon Souls and Dark Souls and now in For Honor. And, you know, I think without somebody like him who's as captivating as he is, we, we might not have jumped at the title right away. Um, but when you see talent like that, it's hard not to want to work with them. Yeah, completely. So talk about a little bit more about it's not necessarily the game itself, but really producing that shoulder content or the content or the talent and the story and the personalities behind the teams and the players and the athletes you get involved in. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's no, you know, it's no secret that esports fans are, you know, first initially latch on to players. Um, they fall in love with a Sinatra or a Super, uh, you know, any one of our individual guys, Garrett G and Rocket League. And that's kind of who they start rooting for. And eventually they convert, you know, into fans of an overall organization, um, depending on how that organization runs within the game. And so for us, it's incredibly important that when we look at getting into a new game or when we're making um, roster decisions, you know, first and foremost, the one thing we look at is, is this person a true competitor? Are they at a high level? And then the next category down is where do they sit within the ecosystem of their game? Are they somebody that everyone looks up to? Are they, you know, somebody who's out there streaming regularly, putting out content? Do they have an interesting insight, an interesting story? Um, that stuff is all super important when you're looking at building an overall brand and also, you know, building stars. Um, 
you know, there are certainly guys who don't want to be stars and they just want to compete. And we totally respect that. You know, we've got players like that as well. Um, it's, you know, what it comes down to is first and foremost, competitive, you know, ability, and then building kind of that narrative around that is super important though. Cause that's what gives this longevity. Yeah, for sure. And I think you raised a very interesting point, which is that, you know, from the esports perspective, fans come through and, you know, root for their players or athletes first, then potentially become a fan of the organization. Whereas in traditional sports, you may see that reversed. Yeah. Do, you, do you believe that's the case? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I was, we were just, I was just talking with Andy about this earlier today. And, um, you know, if you're a SAC Kings fan, you're a SAC Kings fan. Uh, and it doesn't matter where right. players come and go, you're, you're going to still be a SAC Kings fan. And you might still follow a player after they leave, um, still be interested in their career, but you're probably not going to buy their jersey from another team now. Um, and I think it's a little different in esports. I think your first entry point is really that attachment to uh, an individual. Um, you know, a lot of esports fans come to be esports fans, you know, first by playing the game and then they want to learn more. So they go to Twitch and, you know, they might be watching um, Baby Bay or Dak on Twitch and Overwatch and they say, oh, I love this guy. And that's who they latch on to first. And then it's, a, oh, he plays for the SF Shock. That's my team now. Um, and yeah. they kind of build that. And we, we see a lot of that in esports, I think, across the board and given any title. Yeah, no, I think that's completely fair. So no Battle Royale, PUBG, Fortnite announcement yet? Nothing yet. It's definitely something we've uh, we've had our eyes on. Um, we've been kind of scoping out the the whole landscape of it. I think it's, uh, you know, I, I love PUBG. It's one of the most fun games for me to play. Uh, and I'm awful at it. How are you at it? I, I'm terrible. I'm all right. I've got a few chicken dinners to my name, but uh, <laughs> nice. I'm definitely not a great uh, FPS player. So it's it's more the chaos that you can cause, and that's that's one of the fun things about that game is as a casual sure. player, uh, is you can kind of do it however you want. Um, but I think the games, you know, in the battle royale area are growing really fast. You know, I am Oakland was great, awesome event to see, um, and I think they're going to continue to grow. And we're just kind of waiting for the you know, right moment to potentially jump in and the right people to jump in with. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm sure you guys will pick the right time. So let's move on to everyone's favorite topic, Overwatch League. And, you know, we're right around the corner from preseason. You know, things are starting to stack up. Everything's been announced. But let's first start with the branding of the team, San Francisco Shock, the colors, the name, the team logo. How did this come about and how can you leverage Energy's existing brand to the Shock right now? Yeah, definitely. You know, uh, I, I think the color choices, we were pretty pretty early on, uh, even before we came around to, to naming choices, we were pretty dead set on, on what we wanted our color arrangement to be, just because I think it, you know, speaks to some of the existing um, sports atmosphere in San Francisco already. Uh, and that's something yeah. we wanted to build on and, and leverage. Um, and when it comes to leveraging the rest of energy uh, for shock and you know, I think there's a lot of things that are, are really cool we can do. You know, Soda Pop, and, uh, who works with us uh, formerly from Northern, an amazing streamer, was streaming Overwatch yesterday morning. And uh, clearly, you know, he, he loves the game and thinks it's a lot of fun. And there's a lot of people across our organization who, whether or not they play CSGO or, or another title, they all love Overwatch. It's a really fun game to play. Uh, and I think there's a lot of synergy we can bring on board with, you know, uh, other players, other influencers across the energy family to really help bolster that. Yeah, no, it's a great point that you mentioned about leveraging the existing sports base in San Francisco. And if you look at the colors, you know, you could definitely see resemblance to the Giants. So I think that's, you know, that's fantastic. And that's not, that's not, you know, mistaken. So you recently hired Brad Rajani, formerly of Selfless Gaming. He's going to be the new head coach for the Shock. 
talk about your Overwatch roster and where you recruited the team from. Yeah, Brad has been uh, awesome for us. Um, you know, he has a very distinct vision for the type of team he wants to build and the type of player he wants to recruit. And it's it's tough to disagree with his his thought process there. Um, uh, he's been an incredible asset for us. You know, we started the recruiting process uh, months ago now, really with um, a lot of in-house scrims. We were bringing in 12 guys uh, at a time, uh, you know, doing 6v6 matches, uh, having Brad and, and support staff uh, and management staff on the Overwatch game team um, really kind of move people around, figure out which rosters were working. And then we just started, you know, cutting back and cutting back until we had our, you know, our final nine. Um, for us, it was really important to find strong, mechanically sound players who we knew would buy into a system. Um, you know, Overwatch is still a really new title in the grand scheme of, you know, other esports. Um, you know, we're, a lot of players are still figuring out how this is going to work and we're figuring out how it's going to work with them. And it's a perspective of these guys, we want to make sure that when they come in and practice every day, that they know that they're going to get something out of it. We want to build a machine here that players will get better over time. Uh, and, you know, you need to have the right type of player who's going to buy into that mindset, who doesn't just walk in the door thinking, oh, I'm the best and I don't have to listen to anyone. So that was huge. Right. Now, did you recruit from any particular country it, more so than any others or any issues with visas? Talk about some of the challenges there. Yeah, you know, uh, we really didn't. We were fortunate. We, we haven't had any visa issues. Um, you know, we've been in the esports world long enough. We work with a great firm uh, that handles that stuff. But our focus was, um, you know, we started working with Western players, traditionally North American, then expanding into European players as well. And we've, we've gotten a pretty well-rounded roster uh, from those two regions, uh, which has been incredible. Um, you know, I think our first look at it was like, these these were the easiest guys to bring in for tryouts. Um, obviously, it's tough to have tryouts when you're global in a global game. You've got to fly people into the sure. country. And uh, there's a lot that goes into that whole process. So... For us, it was just, you know, hammering that out and looking at it from that perspective, it just started building on itself. You know, once you started making the first few decisions, you realized, okay, these guys will plug in well together. These guys will plug in well together. Uh, and you just build from there. Um, but it's definitely, you know, I know for a lot of folks, it's it was a huge question of, you know, are you going to go build a full Korean roster? Um, you know, right. the Spitfire did that. And, you know, I think it's going to work very well for them. But then you look at, you know, Valiant uh, and what Noah's built over there. And they have a, a roster that is incredibly diverse across countries. Um, and that's one of the cool things about Overwatch League that I, I really do love uh, for its competitive format is that year round, we are going to have international players playing against each other. Um, right. It's not a matter of, hey, you play in your own little region for 10 months and then you go have to go play every other region. I, I think that's going to help develop a level of competition that just will not be seen anywhere else in esports. You know, uh, I'm really excited to see that in terms of the formalized leagues. Yeah, no, that's a great point in terms of OWL. So let's get a little bit further into that. So the Overwatch Cup, World Cup, was the first time we saw a glimpse of what OWL could look like in terms of presentation, viewership, and again, which countries may end up dominating season one. A few questions here. What do you think about the new spectating mode and what else is needed for fans to really get into the game? You know, I love the new spectating mode. Uh, it's it's definitely changed the game. Uh, it makes it just so much easier to follow the action. Overwatch, it's 
no shock to anyone to say it's a quite chaotic game to view. Right. There's a lot going on. There's 12 players. There's a lot of different effects happening, a lot of different uh, powers being used. Um, and that, that can be tough. And I think just the, on the even basic level, the color scheme changing was, was a huge, huge step for them. Um, and then you talk about adding in all these other things like that top-down map view, which is something I personally love. I think these are awesome, right. awesome assets. What I really want to see happen is uh, in the future, you know, something that E-League really did well, I thought, uh, with CSGO was giving the viewer the power to decide how they wanted to watch um, with a sure. kind of control panel uh, viewing process. And I'd love to see, you know, for hardcore fans, that's that's such a treat. You know, you can really get a sense of watching the game how you want to watch it. Sure, you know, you can also watch it however the director uh, and observers are deciding, you know, if this is going to be, you know, the main broadcast. But I think if you really want to get in the weeds in the game and, and you're really, you know, hardcore about it, I think that's a, a huge step. Yeah, for sure. And I think they did a fantastic job. And considering that's really the first iteration, I think the next iteration is going to show you a lot more in terms of how spectating is going to change. So the second question in terms of the Overwatch Cup, you know, there was very, very strong viewership. It had about 100,000 plus concurrent viewers throughout the entire cup. And it made Overwatch the second most channel, uh, most watched channel on Twitch for that week. Was that a surprise for you? You know, I I don't think it's a huge surprise to me. I you know, we, we obviously got into the league because we have faith in this game. We have faith in yeah, Activision Blizzard's ability to build a game that's watchable. Um, and, you know, that was a lot of the, you know, when we first jumped in and, and people started hearing that we were going to be involved in Overwatch League, you know, a lot of people said to me, hey, you can't even watch this game. It's very hard to understand. Do you think fans will get behind it? I said, look, Activision Blizzard is not new to this. This is something they've been doing for many years. And they understand there's a problem, so they're going to work to fix it. And I, I think once we knew that that was coming down the pipe, I thought, oh, well, that will that will definitely help Overwatch League expand to the viewers who it might have lost anyway. And also, I mean, you had the benefit of this was such an incredible World Cup. You had probably one of the greatest matches of Overwatch played uh, in terms of excitement and uh, just madness with U.S. for South Korea, which was an amazing game. And so it's it's right. very easy to understand why people you know fell in love with that. And I think they've been doing a great job just tweaking everything here and there, uh, even from the full overhaul of the spectator client. It's just it's been super impressive. And I think we'll see the viewership continue to grow. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely have, I'm very bullish on uh, where uh, Overwatch Cup is going to go going forward and OWL. Uh, so let's move to brand partners. You know, you have an extensive list, but I think what was really interesting to me was your last major announcement with Events DC. How did this partnership come about, especially for a team that's not really Washington Central? Yeah, so actually, uh, just about a year ago, uh, our Rocket League team was invited to the White House um, as a uh, in partnership with Twitch to help promote open enrollment, um, which was a really cool experience. We had our guys out there, they were playing matches with a bunch of other influencers. It was broadcast on Twitch and it really got us, you know, initially ingrained in, in the DC region and getting to know the folks at events DC and the relationship just kind of built and blossomed from there um, to the point where we were able to hatch out a formal partnership. And it's been an incredible journey working with those guys. Uh, you know, everyone on the events DC team has been, amazing and you know you talk about a lot of new brands and, and new types of partners entering the space and you know from my background working with brands number one thing i used to say to people is like you just have to give into this thing that is esports and learn as much as you can about it and you know those folks over there have learned a tremendous amount and just have such a 
depth of information and, and knowledge about the scene now. And we've been able to do cool things even since, you know, we had our uh, Rocket League team was out uh, in Worlds a few weeks ago and hanging out in DC, which was uh, where the event was held and got a lot of really cool content out of that. We've had our Smite team go there as well, do a lot of touring. Those guys are all European. They knew nothing about DC, nothing about US history. <laughs> so it was a really cool experience. And then to cap it off, they were working with the Boys and Girls Club of DC as well. So giving back to that community. And that's a huge part about that partnership. It's about building community and building esports community in DC. Yeah, no, I think that's fantastic. You really talked about a true 360 partnership that goes to multiple areas and facets. And I think that's fantastic. So kudos to you and your team for closing that deal. Um, let's go on to another recent hire that you recently brought on board. David Schwartz, five-time Emmy award-winning producer. He's worked for ESPN, Turner Sports, NBC, where he served as a producer for the NBC Olympics and NBC Sports as well. Um, he then became moved to the West Coast to become vice president of content development and executive producer for the Sacramento Kings before moving over to energy. So how does this show the importance of creating good content going forward? I, 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 it doesn't show the importance of shoulder content. If this doesn't show, I don't know what else does. What do you think the importance, again, of content is going to be for teams as they look to hire? And does everyone need to hire a former sports producer to help with this? No, I, you know, I don't think, I don't think everyone needs to go and hire a former sports producer, but I, I think for us, and uh, I'll get into it in a minute, that was, that was definitely the right choice. Um, content is so important to esports overall. Um, you know, everyone is going to fall in love with the matches and, and they love seeing the competition and seeing those things happen live. But what carries esports between competitions, between tournaments, between matches is the narratives we can build. And the best way to do that is through active, engaging content, whether or not it's something as simple as, you know, we released uh, essentially cell phone footage yesterday of Super and Sinatra walking into the practice room for the San Francisco Shock for the first time and getting right. to see all their other players for the first time in person. Um, and fans really respond to that because it's getting to see the moment outside of the game and, and see what these guys are like when it's just them kind of goofing around. Um, yep. And that's something we want to keep building towards. And I think for us, we looked at it and David has such a pedigree of incredible talent of working on properties where, you know, you look at Olympics and, and winter Olympics and things like that. And people latch on to certain events in those, in the Olympics, partially because the event itself, but also because the Olympics does such an incredible job of building the narrative about the people competing in them. And that's something that I think esports has started to do a lot better over the years. There's certainly great examples of it, but it's definitely something we can continue to build on. And uh, I think it's going to be great for not only growing the space, getting more people involved. It's a great way to have passed through with uh, sponsors and partners. Um, I really do think that strong content is just the lifeblood of this industry. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I can't, you know, showcase the importance of how that plays a role in traditional sports as well. And esports can definitely learn a lot from that side. And look, and that's a fantastic hire you've made. So finally, last question. Um, my nine-year-old son just became a level 101 in Overwatch. So do we need to start talking now about, um, you know, bringing on board to energy nine years when nine years from now when he's able to play? Yeah, we've got the path to pro. Uh, that's one of the coolest things. Um, 
uh, about Overwatch League. I think they're going to really do strong investment in making sure that young players like your son uh, understand how to get to pro level. And hopefully that they can make it. And hopefully your son is uh, an SF Shock player someday, and that'll be great. Um, but I, I really do <laughs> love that they're they're really focusing in on, you know, how do you jump from being a ladder player to being a pro player? Because I, I think that's going to be really important. You know, five years from now, the star of Overwatch League, you know, he might not even have touched the game yet. Uh, and that's crazy. And so we need to constantly be building towards um, bringing in new players, showing them that there's a pathway for them and really encouraging them at every step of the process. No worries. So I see a six-figure uh, salary in the future. So thanks you for answering that. Bare minimum. <laughs> Bare minimum, absolutely. Well, Brett, thank you so much for being on the show. It's a pleasure to have you on, and hopefully we'll have you on again soon. Of course. Thanks so much, man.